Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of a sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, so here we are with with no applause today. I had it. There it is. There it is. (laughs) The audience was asleep, I guess. How are you, my dear? I'm doing fine. We got another good review on Eightfold Path. Oh, great. And I think we've got the first review on something else. This is the first one that you've had, so I would like to let you have the opportunity to take lead on talking about it. Well, guys, guess what? Steve and I wrote a graphic novel called The Keeper that's coming out September 27th. And we got our, it's from Abrams Comic Arts Megascope, which is John Jennings' line. Thank you, John Jennings, who brought us in there. Publishers Weekly said wonderful things about it. And it, I'll just, this excerpt starts with something by Marco Finnegan, the illustrator. Because remember, in a graphic novel, the illustrator is a co-author. So Finnegan's sturdy, naturalistic art is workmanlike, but holds a down-to-earth simplicity suited to a script that weaves volatile magic into the fabric of everyday life. Fans of smart horror will snap up this fresh, sharp take on the haunted house trope. How about that? Now that like is a good it. review. And I am, I am predicting that by the time it's been out for three months, we'll have a movie deal. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that's... If we finally favorite. sell that script, we, we've been knocking that script around since 2019, I think. And yeah. it has gotten us many, many, many fantastic meetings. Yeah, it might uh, lead to, you know, a fair amount of money. But, it might. Uh, you know, and, and jobs and work and opportunities and meeting people. But I'm suspecting that the graphic novel, which functions very much like a storyboard, is going to work really beautifully for us. I think it will. And Marco did do a great job of framing those shots. Some of it was in the script, but he added a great deal to to that in his drawing. So very, very excited to see that it's an actual reality. Our Our graphic novel is real. People have read it and people don't hate it. That's the thing. The voices are always telling you people are going to hate it. You know, you can't get those voices to turn off. What you can do is learn to ignore them or laugh at them or understand that those voices are not you. You know, they are, you know, you're the one listening to the voices, not the one speaking. So once you realize that, it changes things quite a bit. So those of you who are up and coming writers or trying to be writers and you're hearing voices saying people won't like it. You have no business doing it. You're wasting your time. Don't listen to those voices. Those voices are just trying to stop you from finding your blessings. (laughs) Well, as I said, you know, when neuro-linguistic programming, one of the things that they'll do is they'll change the tonality of those voices so that they sound like Mickey Mouse or you add some calliope, you know, carnival music in the background. (laughs) So it's the same information, but you get the absurdity. And so you can laugh at it and release the tension. Yeah, those were very cute voices that you were doing, by the way. I have to give you props for that. <laughs> very funny. Good job. Thanks, Minnie. 
Good job. <laughs> well, aside from that, I turned in finally my full manuscript for a short story collection I have coming out next year. It hasn't really been formally announced, but I have alluded to it on social media. And, and there was a, a, a comic site. Someone at Baycon heard me talk about it and, and put it out there. So I have a short story collection coming out next year called The Wishing Pool Stories. Akashic, Akashic Books, Johnny Temple over there at Akashic Books. And I'm just really excited. I haven't had a short story collection since I think 2013, I think is when Ghost Summer came out. So it's been a while. Yeah, I'm since I, think I should have you introduce me to this fellow and see, and that I, sh- I want to work with him myself. Hey, of course, such introductions can be made. See, podcasts between married couples can also be a networking mechanism. So we're networking while we do the podcast. So I'm glad we're laughing right now. Is there anything else we want to to tell the, the folks about before we move into our discussion yeah, of Wakanda comes- forever? No, we. I am almost finished with. A the the first draft or second draft, let's say, of a short story for a secret collection that we're that we're working for, and uh, you seem to be pretty happy. Oh with, yeah, with what you see. I That's was looking good. at it a little bit again this morning just to go through and make sure I give you all my notes. But you're doing a fantastic job. I wish I only had any clue what I'm going to write my story about. But in any case, I'm sure something will will pop to the surface. Sure but yours will. is looking so good, and That's again. Much like The Keeper, if I'm allowed to say so, it is something that had origins and a script idea. And and that richness of the research that you had done when it was a script idea really, really shows in the short story. So you have a huge head start over me, for sure. Well, but it's, and it's considering it's a horror anthology, you, know, you have a head start in the sense that you are a natural horror writer. You know, I'm trying to learn how to how to play those games. You know, and I'm I'm really trying to channel you while still maintaining my own sensibilities. So I, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I how. appreciate you saying that, my love, but what I see is classic Stephen Barnes from Lion's Blood, from Great Sky Woman, that that that, that the real thing, baby. It's the real thing. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you can't see the backdrop if you're listening on audio, but Steve, as usual, has Wakanda as his backdrop. That's where he is right now. Wakanda is absolutely a buzz with the upcoming release later this year of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which which dropped a teaser trailer a few weeks ago. And it's something that we've been giving a lot of thought to. And I know a lot of you out in the audience have been rewatching it and rewatching it and rewatching it because it's it's beautiful. The cinematography is beautiful. You're seeing familiar faces. Is Angela Bassett trying to get an Oscar with that speech that she's giving about how she's lost everyone, her family? And I just watched it, the trailer again. And I kind of broke up over it because I, I can't do funerals just talking about the funeral moments and seeing Chadwick Boseman's image on a mural and the grief of Wakanda makes me want to pull out my, my, my Kleenex right now. I'm already tearing up just to talk about it, but (laughs) you know, there's a lot that people sometimes are afraid to talk about or feel nervous talking about. And, and we wanted to sort of have a, a conversation between us that is a deep dive into the impact of losing T'Challa in the Black Panther universe as it seems to be portrayed in that teaser trailer. Obviously, it's only a couple minutes long. We only see glimpses here and there to give us hints. And sometimes teaser trailers do deliberate misdirection too. So we don't know, obviously, what the final film looks like. But in our private conversations at home, I thought, and Steve feels very strongly, that some of the issues that are raised within the teaser trailer and what seems to be the trajectory for this film are worth bringing outside of our home and into the public, even though, frankly, some of those conversations are uncomfortable. Those conversations are painful, divisive even, you know, I mean, we're, we're going to get down into all of it because it's such a culturally important project and has touched so many of us so deeply that that I feel like we need to talk about it. And I know you feel like we need to talk about it, honey. Well, yeah, I'll get into that. You, Can, there's, there, there's a paragraph or so in our in our document that has to do with your thoughts, 
the sure. joy of Black Panther. And we should probably start there because once I get started, I'm going to be controlling a lot of this conversation. <laughs> because this So you really go right ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about it. I don't have to tell you. Well, first of all, not full disclosure, but just so people understand, Steve and I, actually were writers on a, a Black Panther audio project that was right here on Realm Media, where our, our podcast is, is hosted right now, called Marvel's Black Panther, Sins of the King, which was with us and several other writers taking different chapters to write a, a really, really fun story based in that universe. And I have to say, it was so great to be able to revisit that world and write dialogue for T'Challa, et cetera, and, and feel like I was a part of that universe. Because seeing Black Panther, the, the run-up to Black Panther, even the first glimpse of T'Challa in Civil War, so much excitement. I remember the memes when when it, the trailer for Civil War showed that he was bulletproof. I remember Florence Kasumba's line, move or be moved, that just electrified everybody I knew, especially the Black women, even when it, in Civil War. So the the introduction of T'Challa and the little glimpse of the Dora Milaje in Civil War was so exciting. And Black Panther itself was just a spectacle and a marvel. In fact, some of you may know I write an African Immortal series. That started with a book called My Soul to Keep. And when I first saw that shot of Wakanda where T'Challa is looking out over his people and the camera is panning up with sort of this cavern where people are standing on ledges, I thought, oh, my God, that looks like my immortals colony. And that's how I pictured it. And Lalibela, Ethiopia. So that was very, very personal for me, just the introduction of Wakanda. I got to go to the premiere for Black Panther. Uh, thank you, Anthony Bresnikan, who, who invited me as his plus one. As He was a reporter who had a plus one, and he invited me to go with him. And I got to see Stan Lee actually wheeled into the audience to watch Black Panther. And it was, I don't have to tell y'all, you were all getting dressed up. I, I remember I went to a store in LA that sells African fashion because, you know, we all had to get dressed up to see Black Panther. It's called Katula on West Lawson in Los Angeles. And when I went to get my South African earrings, which are to this day some of my best earrings and, and my headdress that looked just like Ramonda's headdress. In fact, we we had the uh, costume designer on before we had a podcast. We interviewed the costume designer and she didn't even have the real the real piece of headwear she had to have it 3d printed so I, I had an advantage over her but in any case it was just you all remember all the memes people missing work seeing it four or five times in the theater that terrific meme of the school children dancing on the table when they found out they were getting tickets to see black panther it really was a huge cultural event unlike anything i can think of that had come before in terms of the level of communion, people going with friends, people dressing up, people seeing it multiple, multiple times with friends and family, and just feeling, I guess, seen is the word I would use, even though it's a mishmash of different African cultures. And obviously, Black Camp Panther is an American creation, you know, so it was it was not true to any one African culture. But it was also, from what I understand, the all time best selling movie on the entire continent. Wow. They loved it. So they felt seen yes. as well. So you had, you know, you had costumes and rituals representing different parts of West Africa, South Africa. And that whole debate about, oh, well, if they're so technologically advanced, why are they still using spears? It's like, that's Afrofuturism, baby. Afrofuturism is futurism that pays homage to the past. And right? you'll notice that in Asgard, with super advanced aliens with spaceships, they're still using hammers and spears and swords. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a non-issue. There was a little bit of oversensitivity, I think, about the spears. <laughs> because in addition to the spears, they also had telepathy-powered hovercraft, and they had all kinds of vibranium-inspired technology. So it's not that they were being depicted as backward. They were paying homage to their traditions and their rituals and their past. And I say all of this because... Uh, the death of Chadwick Boseman, here comes the tissue, 
I was on a Zoom when it flashed across my screen. Sometimes I'm multitasking on Zooms, secret. And I saw a lot of RIP, Chaswick Bozeman. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And I was so shocked that I literally blurted it out in the middle of the Zoom. <laughs> so I really feel bad for people who were just there doing what they were there supposed to be doing, you know, <laughs> and they have to hear this terrible news <laughs> just so bluntly blurted out without any backstory or details. But yes, it was this actor, not just in, in Black Panther, but 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 also in Marshall, also in 42, playing Jackie Robinson. So much fantastic work this young man left behind. And I remember when Reggie Hudlin invited us to the premiere of Marshall, Chadwick Boseman walked in with an entourage, and it was like he was literally floating on air. It, the way he moved... And some of that, I think, was being buttoned down and locked down and laser focused. But the way he moved, it was like he was gliding across the floor. I, I've really never experienced anything like it. We've had some experiences with Blair Underwood where, you know, he, he's a very attractive actor and people react to him in a certain way. And he moves very well, too. But Chadwick, I'm telling you, he was just, he was, it was like he was T'Challa. And maybe, in fact, he was sort of being T'Challa in that moment as he walked into that, even though it wasn't for Black Panther. Maybe he was. He was he might have been being T'Challa, but so sad to have lost him. And I have to say, when the Wakanda Forever trailer came out, and this is the reaction I have every time I see it. Now I see people saying, Oh, I'm watching it over and over. It's so beautiful. I mean, yeah, it's beautiful, but I can't get past the the funeral and the the loss and the grief. Every time I see it, it really just takes me back to what it felt like to lose the actor. And and a lot of and I guess really part of that disappointment was even though I know right after Chadwick Boseman passed away, you know, people were saying it's too early to talk about recasting. And as time continued to go on, it still seemed like it was too early <laughs> to talk about recasting. The time never came apparently to talk about recasting. And I think that as much as I loved him as an actor, Seeing his image as T'Challa being put to rest was a whole new level of grief because we've lost him before. So I wanted to make sure that you had an opportunity to say everything that you wanted to say to. Well, I've said everything I can for the, <laughs> for the moment because the, the waterworks, the waterworks are going. I will say one more thing. I will say one more thing before I go into, or before Steve goes into what he wants to say. T'Challa was created in 1966 as someone who was fighting the Fantastic Four. Steve, you're the one who taught me all this. But he beat them all. He beat them all. And then when Reggie Hudlin followed Christopher Priest's Black Panther run, Christopher Priest was sort of telling it more, I think, a little bit more from the outside in, from, from the point of view of an outside observer depicting T'Challa and his, his life. And then when Reggie Hudlin came along, he did it more from the inside out. So one of the very first moments in Reggie Hudlin's comic version and in the TV series is basically T'Challa beating Captain America. And I remember he came to my UCLA class once and talked about how it was better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So, so that dynamism and that power of that character of T'Challa, even though we only got to meet him for the first time in Civil War fairly recently, he's been in the in the Marvel Universe for some time and he has a long legacy. And yes, I'm very, very sad to see that character die what feels to me a premature death because, you know, we've had so many Peter Parkers you know, and I, I know it's a very different situation. It's not like a beloved actor, like our current Peter Parker passed away and then they had to rush and make a new movie. And the whole idea of recasting might've, might've been a bridge too far for a lot of people. And I understand the grief and I can only imagine the grief that is rocking through this creative team from the actors to the director, Ryan Coogler, and the desire to present a communal way to process the grief, really in part of Chadwick Boseman. But as it appears on the film, we're grieving for the, the fictitious character of T'Challa. And that is so hard for me. I was I was hoping that he would be recast, 
But I also understand how difficult that would have been for the creative team, or at least I'm assuming it would have been very difficult for the creative team. And and what we're left with is sort of a mystery, you know, who's wearing the cat suits. We're left with the Dora Milaje definitely at the forefront of the imagery in that teaser trailer. And the women of Wakanda definitely at the forefront of that teaser trailer. And that is where our conversation will branch into to Steve. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I, I think I've said my piece, honey. Okay, fair enough. Well, first of all, I want to say that when a king dies, they say the king is dead, long live the king. That the health of the kingdom is more important than the life of the king. That you can have a king or a queen... You know, it could be long live the queen, but what you don't do is you change, you don't change the structure of the kingdom because those things evolve over time because that's what works. Okay. So I am very concerned about what I see. I don't know yet because I haven't seen the movie, but based upon the clues and based upon other things that have been happening in the Marvel universe, I have a limited amount of trust to extend. They, I would be delighted to be delighted in, in surprise and I'll be there. I'll see it, but I don't have the kind of enthusiasm that I had before. And let me back up and talk about some things. First of all, I look at film imagery popularity as the invisible hand of audience desire in the marketplace. So it's a way of knowing how people are thinking and feeling based upon the tickets they buy. It's not just what artists will create or what the studios will put out there, but is what will people buy tickets to see? And that has a reciprocal relationship. It's a reciprocal feedback loop. What the, you know, the, the artists and the management come from the same group as the people buying tickets. So you can't say that they're terribly different anyway. But I think that Hollywood tends to be a little bit more progressive than America in general. So I don't blame them, although I can look at them and say some things about them. Going way back, there was a movie called Damnation Alley. I forget exactly when it came out. I was in high school at the time. And I was ditching school one day and saw this movie with my buddy Dan Pinal. And in that movie, George Pippard and Jan Michael Vincent and Paul Winfield, black actor, were in a nuclear-powered Winnebago traveling across a nuclear-blasted landscape after World War III. And out of the wreckage of, I think it was Las Vegas, comes the last woman in the world, apparently, and she's white. And I turned to my friend Dan and I said, they're going to kill Paul Winfield. And he said, oh, man, you're crazy. And about five minutes later, he gets eaten by giant cockroaches. After the movie was over, Dan asked me, how in the hell did you know they were going to kill him? I said, well, I mean, she was the only woman left in the world. They weren't going to let him compete for her. They weren't going to pretend that he wasn't interested. The only option they had was to kill him. And that's what they did. So I started noticing things like that. And the idea when I was a kid, we'd go see, I'd go see movies. And if there was a black man in the movie, my friends would say, how'd they kill the brother this time? Okay. So... In 1990, I saw a movie called Die Hard 2, and there was a coming attraction. I saw it out in Westwood. There was a coming attraction for Spike Lee's movie, Mo' Better Blues. And in the coming attraction, there was a love scene between Denzel Washington and, 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 and a lady. And I was the only black person in the theater. And instead of watching the audience, the, the, th- the screen, I turned around and looked at the audience. All the white women in the audience were leaning forward at Denzel Washington. All the white men in the audience were pushing themselves back away from the screen. And I started thinking that I had seen this and that if it is true that one of the problems in racism is the feeling of competition between tribes, tribal extinction, then one of the ways that would come out is in one's willingness to look at 
reproductive behavior in males of the opposing tribe that I ask myself, could I look at movies and detect anything in the pattern? And what I detected was that no black man, no Asian man either, but it, my, my specific interest is black men, no black man had ever had sex in a movie that earned over $100 million domestic, not an American film. So I started looking at that because people could say anything they want to about, about social change. But if I knew that the American audience was not ready for that image and about 20% of movies that had earned over $100 million had love scenes and about 20%, curiously enough, also had black stars. So where those two circles overlap, there should have been about, at the time that I first looked at this, should have been about 10 movies where black men had love scenes in those movies, and there were zero. In fact, there wasn't one until nineteen until 2015 when Creed came out. And that that's a, so ironic, because remember who directed Creed? Ryan Coogler. Ryan Coogler. So my theory was that this invisible hand of the marketplace would reflect what white males who were driving the box office and also making most of the decisions about what was made felt comfortable with, and I evolved some of the theory I call the breeding circle, that black men in these movies were going to be too young, too fat, too old, too gay, or too dead for white males to consider them biological competition, reproductive competition. And I could see it everywhere. You would see disproportionate numbers of, of these these roles going to people who are depicting people who were not going to be competing with the white males for the attention of women in these movies. It was Creed, Creed 2, and Crazy Rich Asians are to this day the only movies that have that have gotten across that line with, with non-white males. The one egregious example of this was the year that Training Day and Monsters Ball came out. Because if you look oh, at why... Those actors got their Oscars, Denzel Washington and Halle Berry. Denzel got his for being a monster in Training Day and dying, basically getting shot down like a dog in the street. Halle Berry got hers for having sex with the man who killed her black husband. Yeah, Jess, where's my, my boo sound effect? But it makes perfect, <laughs> it makes perfect it. sense because oh, the rules of warfare... <laughs> Yeah. The rules of warfare from the beginning in terms of tribal reproduction are you kill the men and impregnate the women. So these movies then are extensions of the fantasies of the ticket buyers. If you like what you're seeing on the screen, you'll buy another ticket, thereby training the machine called Hollywood to give us more of this. So looking at this... It is simply the same thing that you see with all other groups. Every group in the world wants to think that God loves them best, made them first, they're the most beautiful, the smartest, and specifically what you're looking at is white males fantasizing themselves as the apex predators and lovers on the planet. So for the following conversation, let's assume that the the MCU, the Marvel Comics Universe, comprises the 30 movies and the Disney Plus shows. That's it. Just the 30 movies and the Disney Plus shows, not the comic books, not the Netflix shows, not any other television shows, but the only ones, you know, the one that Kevin Feige, you know, produced. And this is this is MCU. The and Cinematic Universe. The Marvel Cinematic Universe. The Marvel Universe. Cinematic That's what the MCU is. The Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that's about, it's over 100 hours of film. And so I think that that is a large enough sample to be able to draw some conclusions. Civil War, as you said, was great. Fantastic. I just... Loved it. You know, it, it was in, I think there, there are ways in which the depiction of T'Challa in Civil War, I prefer to the depiction of T'Challa in Black Panther, although I think Black Panther is a, a superior movie. You know, it's just amazing. And I, I, I love it. It's one of my favorite films. I think it is a cinematic miracle. But one thing I did notice even then that was a little bit concerning to me, and that was the, the fight in the casino scene. Black Panther is dialed back. A little bit. If you remember Captain America in the elevator sequence in Winter Soldier, he was a total badass. He just wiping out a dozen guys in that scene. Black Panther kicked Bucky's butt, and Bucky kicked Cap's butt without his shield. He so, was, and by, by the way, 
he held his own pretty well with Bucky, even when he wasn't wearing his Panther suit. In that he, stairwell. Didn't, he, didn't, he didn't hold his own. He kicked Bucky's butt. Right. Absolutely. He, he made Bucky run. Yes. Oh, in the stairwell scene? Yes. Okay. Okay. He made Bucky run. That's, that's what happened. So they very clearly were establishing nobody can can come up with anything to suggest that he's not Captain America's equal. But in the in, in the casino sequence, he was not as efficient and effective as his physical powers would 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 suggest. Anyone who can do the kinds of things that he can do physically, jumping from one level to has so much elastic energy in their body. If they hit you with real power, you're staying down. It's as simple as that. You're staying down. And I had the sense that they dialed him back a little bit so that the, the two women that were there, Nakia and uh, would look better. You know, they, they, they looked really, really great in that scene. But I noticed that they kind of dialed him back there. Now, understand something. There's two ways to kill a species that, that work really well. One is to kill them outright, and the other is to disrupt their mating patterns. If you can do that, I mean, like with, with mosquitoes, for instance, they'll release mosqu- sterile mosquitoes, you know, that other mosquitoes will mate with and thereby not produce any progeny. You can kill the mosquitoes off like that. I started noticing that in Infinity Game, Infinity War, Wakanda had a lack of effective response in war. And once the snap happened, they killed off every fully functional black superpowered leader in that entire world we're talking about Himdall, who died earlier in the movie falcon black panther and even nick fury who'd been absent for several movies they brought him back in at the after credit sequence just to kill him so it's like wow that was totally disproportionate to the number of white male heroes that died totally and what hurt really hurt was i was sitting next to our son jason who had been totally excited by Black Panther. And here we are seeing Infinity War and they're going to be in Wakanda. Yeah, we were talking, this is Black Panther 1.0, 1.5. And when they killed T'Challa, I saw the light go out in his eyes. Oh my. Yeah, that was hard. It was hard. That now was they hard brought him watch. back in Endgame. But remember, by this point, we'd seen Black Panther die twice. Mm-hmm. Once in Black Panther, once in Infinity War. So it's like, I could feel, and, and he was at that point the only fully functional, reproductively competitive black man in the entire Marvel universe. Iron Iron Patriot was was there, you know. Rhodey was there, but Ro- he War his, Machine. War they Machine. They call him yeah. Iron Patriot. That's I think the, 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 the names go back and forth. He, okay. His spine was broken. Mm. You know, his spine was broken. So he's uh, not reproductive. N- not in the same way. Right. Okay. And like Cyborg in the in the in the DC universe is metal, you know, all except for his head. So he's not reproductive competition either. In that sense, you can t- say anything you want to about how, you know, how they might add this. And I'm not trying to be ableist about this. I'm talking about the fact that I, you know, that guys, when they think about what is competition for them, if they don't consider that competition, now maybe they should. But the question is, why would white people, why would members of one tribe push images, more images that are of these kinds onto members of other tribes than they will for their own? Why would they do that? And I think that it relates to that reproductive thing, the tribal competition thing. Unconsciously. Well, primarily unconscious, yes. I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody is sitting down and having meetings about this. But I'm sure that there are some people thinking. How can we get rid of all the black men? <laughs> I think. I think that there. Are, I think that there have to have been conversations where people said, "Yeah, kill him. I don't care enough about him." But I don't. Think, I think in most cases it's not that. It's it's more a just a feeling. It's a, a differential valuation. Okay, that creates problems even among good people. You just don't quite mind watching a member of them die as much as you mind watching one of yours, your children die. Well, I will I will say this in this new world where we are having more inclusivity in horror in particular, in comics and and adventure stories. Yes, when a character looks like you, that death, especially when you've been so absent. I think if if we'd had this kind of representation for decades, I would not be as sensitive to it. But right now, it definitely, if I'm watching a horror movie and a Black character gets killed, it's especially a strong Black character, it really cuts deeply. Sure. So Chadwick Boseman died. It's mm. a tragedy. In terms of the, the business of doing Black Panther 2, they had several options. Among those options are were to recast 
the role. You know, bring somebody in from either ignore the difference like they do with James Bond, or you bring somebody in from the multiverse, or you pass the mantle. That's another option. You can pass the mantle. But remember, there were over a dozen good, powerful women in Black Panther and only two powerful, positive black men, T'Challa and M'Baku. Now there's just one. He was glimpsed in a dynamic pose, but if you take a look at, at the screen time, they have just thrown the balance between the male and female energies in that kingdom off hugely. And if you take a look at the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all the other movies, and all of the television shows on Disney+, Plus, Falcon and Winter Soldier, that show, that was the only, Falcon was the only hero in all of their stuff that never had any sexual energy interest every single here including ms marvel almost got a kiss i mean they, they shied away from it like they do in indian film i thought that was very cute and she's only 14 or something like that but every single other hero they you know has had had some sexual even loki had one with a clone of himself right <laughs> so, so it's ridiculous it's ridiculous and we can see from you know that she hulk you know in the coming attractions you know there she's getting some so i noticed stuff like that in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, they have now removed every single black man who would be considered traditionally reproductively competitive. And I, you know, even M'Baku in, in, in Black Panther, did we see M'Baku with a woman? Did we see any women of his tribe? I'm not sure we did. They, I think they, we did. He made a joke about, about children. But in movies, it's the visual image that counts. And if you compare that once again with what white people do with themselves, they're very—they're not shy at all about about making sure that that if it's their children, they are producing grandchildren. So in that sense, if you're going to promote the black women without any black men worthy of their hands, you know, women traditionally are going to look for men who are as as strong as they are or stronger. Right. Because those men can't have babies, and so there is some reproductive stuff that's going on there. If you don't have any men who are worthy of those women, the only choice those women have is to either turn to each other or turn to white men. So it's monsters ball all over again. You have an overabundance of yin energy. Imagine, you know, the closest analogy I can come up with is what would happen if Gal Gadot, I think it's pronounced Gadot of Wonder Woman, you know, died, and they made Wonder Woman two about her brother. And his male friends. I, I, I think that people, I, you know, I think the women who felt, oh, my God, you know, I, I've waited my whole life to see, you know, an image like this. They would feel pretty cheated by this. And that is, that's just on a personal level. That's on an ego level to a certain degree. Because the tribe is still safe. They still got Superman and Batman and so forth as their heroes. They're, they're warriors out there. Whereas black people, in terms of their cinematic images... The, the thread was very thin. T'Challa was, in some ways, the only fully functional black man who owned himself in the entire comic book world. All the others had been given their technology by white people. Mm. They were in a white chain of command. Mm -hmm. They had white names. You know, T'Challa was T'Challa, and Wakanda was Wakanda, and would have been Wakanda, even if Europe had been wiped out by an asteroid. To me, this is why black people responded so much. We were taking a look at what, at our mythology, not a reality, but a mythology. This is how we would like to see ourselves, feel about ourselves, think about ourselves, that this is what we could have been had we not been enslaved and not been suffered, you know, colonization. Right. Okay. So it, it was, the image was transformative and just amazing. And what they've done here. We think, we think, based on what we've seen in the teaser trailer. In, in the teaser, that's right. You know, and because of what happened with all the other black men in the entire Marvel universe, I don't have any faith to extend. I understand that they might come up with something that blows me away, and I love it. And it's like, oh my god, they pulled an okie doke. I never dreamed they'd do that. That's of course possible, but I am not interested. After watching what they did with all these other characters, I don't have any faith to extend. You know, it's like right now they broke the magic for me. I'm no longer saying, "Oh my God, I can't wait to." It's just like I feel actually kind of cynical, you know. I watch, oh. when I when I watch the the trailer, it's like that's pretty, you know. It is pretty. I, I can't help but think that this was created in a context. Anyone who thinks that Ryan Coogler had total freedom has never been through a development process in Hollywood before. They will not tell you directly what to do, but they will make it very clear what they want you to do. 
and they will keep pushing you in that direction and they will passively aggressively do it even if they don't tell you directly so i think that ryan coogler undoubtedly did a fantastic job based upon what he had to work with and the pain they had to have been going through and the timing oh my gosh they had to get right to it you know and the timing but I think that the temptation to say they made the only choice they could is simply not true. They could have made other choices. They decided to do this. So, honey. Yes, this was not a history. T'Challa didn't die in reality. They killed him as part of the creative process. So if I connect all this with a sort of white replacement theory, you know, that white people are worried about the encroachment of brown people, then the idea would be that as they become more fearful, their chosen entertainments might reasonably expect it to become more extreme. That that you know. So, if in the way I wrote this paragraph, I said, if you had to kill T'Challa, keep the male-female balance that you see in the world, even if you evolve it so that more women are dynamic and you have a balance, that's okay. But if you don't do that, then you're literally fantasizing about a kingdom that is ripe for the picking. Because any army in the history of the world who encountered a nation and the only people protecting that nation were women, that army's reaction is going to be, it's Miller time. That is simply not the way nature works. That you don't have, you know, we have sexual dimorphism so that one side can have babies, the other side are basically disposable worker hunter drones. If they die, they get killed, if nine-tenths of them get killed off hunting mammoths, who cares? Because you can replace it. And I you care, can, darling. I you, care. You, I can, care. <laughs> you can evolve that with technology and birth control and forms of social organization. But once again, when white money backs images in the other tribes that they do not back in their own tribe, I'm going to pay attention to that. It's what they've done here by promoting, they, they moved the Dora from being T'Challa's personal guard to apparently being the army. That's, you know, in the same thing they, they're promoting in that, in that movie, uh, The Woman King. You know, that it from from the king's personal guard, because they, they were the Dahomey Amazons were the ins, the inspiration for the Dara Milaje. They're making it look as if they're the army, as if you had a woman king and her troops are all are all women. That's not what it was, but that's what that's what they're pushing in terms of the coming attractions. I am disturbed about that. In the fantasies of the people pulling the strings, they've broken the reproductive cycle in the same way that you do if you release billions of sterile mosquitoes. In that sense, the little boys dancing on the tabletops aren't, are not going to be amused by this. They're not going to feel like they can be the warriors of their tribe. The little girls were already thrilled with the Dora. They were thrilled with the Dora when you had Florence Kasimba. By Black Panther, you had more powerful black women than you had powerful black men, of course, over the moon. But now it's almost exclusive. The only powerful black man that you see is Mbaku. Okay, and you see him, you know, I think they've changed the, the, the trailer a little bit. So you see him being a little bit more dynamic. But I would project that, that uh, Shuri is going to be Black Panther. Will she be the only Black Panther? I don't know. But that would be my projection. And this is a pro- this is problematic on a number of different counts. And all I'm saying is not everybody who signed off on doing things this way was a friend. That in terms of destroying a dream, destroying a people, all you have to do is destroy the natural patterns of growth and, and, and interaction within that culture. And what? that does not mean that those cultures cannot evolve. If a group of black people with black money had done this, I would feel differently about it. But Marvel is keeps very tight control over their development process. So it's, when I look at this and I look at all the other images within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it feels like part of a pattern. Now, you- But how do you really feel? <laughs> I feel I probably just killed any chance I have. Oh my God. I feel like I don't need to run a personal disclaimer or the opinions of Stephen Barnes. No, in terms of the the Shuri piece, I can hear some of you thinking loudly, but Shuri became Black Panther in the comics. Yeah, she did. After 30 years. Right. But after after hundreds of stories. Right. And the Shuri in the, in the comics was not the Shuri in the movie, in the movies, you know, the original he T'Challa was King and Black Panther, and a great scientist. They split that up. 
so that Shuri is a scientist and he's the warrior. And you could tell the, 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 the actress, the way she played that role, she was no warrior. She was a lab geek. Mm. You know, and so now if they're, you know, she could never pass the, the combat test that they said was the standard for becoming the leader. They're going to have to retrofit that. They're going to have to come up with some way to do what it is they wanted to do. And they, you know, they'll probably come up with something. Sure. is Letitia Wright, by the way. That's the name of the actress yeah. who plays Sure. Letitia Wright is frail. She is no fighter. She, you know, that's not that's not her. You take a look at, you know, could you imagine, could she beat him, Baku, in unarmed combat? I think not. You know, so what are they going to do? They'll come up with something, you know, and, and it might work. But it, I can't forget the fact that they're, what they're doing is they're saying they're working backwards from a premise. This is what we want to do. How do we do it? Not what would logically happen. That's well, what they're asking. Well, and and for everyone out there who loves Shuri, and I'm one of those people who also does love Shuri, and, and she had some some thrilling fight scenes. I think, Steve, what you're saying is not that she absolutely cannot wear that suit. But what you're saying is that you cannot replace the, completely replace the male energy with female energy. So if there's- No, that's not just what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying that based upon the rules they established in the first movie, she would never wear the suit. Ah. She would not be in in line for secession. M'Baku fought T'Challa because he did not respect her he talks about that you know you oh, give her true. too much power you think that he wouldn't challenge her for the throne so i i'm still thinking the, i think they're doing a little bit of an okie doke with us but they to might. Say the truth. i they feel might. like that mbaku is going to rise as a strong leader maybe even wearing the panther suit well he might i'm and, simply i'm sim- what i'm saying is i'm not willing to extend the trust i will go see it but because of what they did to him doll and Nick Fury, and Falcon, and so forth, I don't trust them. It's mm. as simple as that. You are saying, are there ways they can make it work? Of course there are. Of course there are. Well, yeah, let's go back to what would make you happy to see in, in the new Black Panther. Well, Shuri and M'Baku both having cat suits. You know, I could see that. Bring in another character who we've not met yet. We don't know whether or not, you know, T'Challa had a brother. Right. You know, bring in, if you're going to have Shuri and her mom and and those women as the key characters, then have as many powerful black men as you had powerful black women in Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe that would be, you know, there's a, a, a military force we haven't seen yet. Mm -hmm. You you bring them in and you show how you show that they are supreme badasses. You know, you do something to replace that energy. You don't, you know, and like I said, I don't mind if there are more, if there is actually more women who are in that position, because that was true in Black Panther. But if you eliminate the men or almost eliminate the men and do that, I am not willing to believe that was totally an accident. I may not believe it was conscious, but Mm -hmm. I believe that it was following some unconscious imperatives that have gone back hundreds of years which is kill the warriors and impregnate the women. Wow. Wow. So we're getting a heap of sociobiology and history as we discuss this history. Well, a heap of, my, of Stephen Barnes's opinions about these things. I'm not saying these things are facts. I'm saying this is what I feel, and this is what I think, and this is why I think it. That's not the same thing as saying this is boom. You know, this is fact. I'm, I'm the word of God. This is what's going on. I can't say that. But no, you're, you're, I'm you're very the- uncomfortable. There's an uneasy feeling that you got, and you're explaining why. And I, th- and also, by the way, it's not just a career suicide that we're doing this this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Although, of course, that's always fun. But th- there's a lot of time between now and November when the film is released. So just on the off chance that something we say might resonate in the heart of someone who's in a position to say, you know, that scene that we left on the cutting room floor, maybe we better put that back in or something, you or know, maybe we need to film a, a, a mid act, you know, a, a post credit sequence or maybe this or maybe that, Some- you, you know, but I, you know, I've been accused. I've had. I've talked about this and I had people accuse me of hating black women because I said this and basically I, I, I have to, I empathize with them. Yeah, you know, what's tough is, is, and of course everybody has wrestled with invisibility. So this is something that, that I can empathize with in terms of 
Black men or, or any marginalized group. I'm, I'm celebrating with Indigenous people, watching prey, you know, right. Comanche descendants watching prey. Invisibility is painful. So just like I felt that jolt of electricity in Civil War, when Florence Kasumba said, move or be moved. And that thrill when Okoye took off her wig, right? right. In, in Black Panther, all those moments, of course, as a Black woman, those speak straight to my, but I, I, I think it's easy sometimes within the grief and within the nuance and within the joy of seeing yourself represented, what are we losing? And well, I think I that's think something that- a lot. Yeah. I already hear, I already hear Black women- who are in positions of power in Hollywood. And we have run into far more of them than we have black men. And I've heard some of them saying, well, where are the black men? We made it here. But, you know, you talked about in your, your parents' generation, they would send the girls to college. Yes. You know, and because they would get less resistance in the workplace. That's right. So those black women, you know, not that they didn't work their butts off, not that they're not brilliant, not that they didn't deserve to get even more rank and privilege and and salaries than, than they had, but they're not necessarily factoring in the fact that there was a different – they're not reproductive competition to the white males. They're potential reproductive partners. It is different that when you talk about reproduction, you talk about representation rather, are you talking about ego or survival? I'm talking tribal survival, which trumps all the rest of that stuff. You can literally – if you remove all the male war, you literally can wipe those people out. It, and it, that that was certainly true until – Firearms. You know, there is no army in the world that is primarily made up of women. Even even the Israelis, the people trump about the Israelis, only about 10% of their combat troops are women or less. So it's an okie doke in, in a little bit. It still doesn't happen. So if, if, if black people did that, that's Afrofuturism. If white people promote that or, or produce that, that's tribal warfare. Oh. I don't buy it. Oh, okay. Wow. Strong words here from. Uh, <laughs> and I hope I'm going to enjoy the movie. I hope from, everybody listening to this goes, sees the movie, loves it, finds out, oh, Steve was totally wrong. This works. It's wonderful. That's okay. I don't begrudge anybody enjoying it. I simply believe that it is important to say the things that I said to get it out there. And I don't care if it hurts my career. Wow. Clearly not. But yes, there is definitely a lot of emotion and excitement around seeing this film. I absolutely will be seeing it and I'll probably see it more than once. I am holding out for a very pleasant surprise in terms of that male energy you're talking about. I have high hopes for M'Baku. I'm really team M'Baku at this point. In terms, even if Shuri, like you said, even if Shuri is also wearing a, a cat suit, so even if even if Shuri is the only one in the cat suit, they could do things with Mbaku that would have me cheering. Right, absolutely. It's like let's not forget our our brothers, especially since T'Challa is the character that gave birth to this entire mythos, this entire conversation around Wakanda forever. You know, there is no Wakanda forever without T'Challa emerging in that comic in 1966. And that is a long, long, long history. For me, again, I go back to my grief, both over the actor's death, and then it's a double dose of grief for the third time <laughs> to, to suffer through T'Challa's apparent death. But, and you know, those of you who are MCU fans are, may also be thinking to yourself, something I heard Cheo Hadari Coker talking about. He's a showrunner talking about on Twitter, which is, hey, hey, everybody, just calm down. Remember, there's a multiverse. This doesn't mean it's necessarily the end of T'Challa, which is absolutely true. Although I wish if that were the case, we'd been able to see it a little bit sooner. Well, you know, something here, here's what I would predict. If Cheo is right, and Cheo is a very smart guy. He's very smart. They do what they do with the with the movie. Shuri gets the cat suit. Mbaku is a badass. And in the after credit scene, they introduce T'Challa from the from the multiverse. Oh, Played my by God. Some, some actor that we never expected. They kept it a secret. 
Yeah. And they revealed it there, and the audience goes berserk, and everything that Stephen Barnes said was asininity. Are now, you I'm... listening? Are you listening, everybody? <laughs> that would be so great. That would be, yeah. And really. The Dora are wonderful and powerful, and oh my God, they're beautiful, and you know, it's like this. And oh God, look at the guys. They're kicking ass and taking names, and it's just wonderful. And then, oh my God, they're bringing T'Challa back. Oh, I can't believe this is one. I can see that. Oh, yes, that would be I, I think they should do it just to prove you wrong at this point. They should be Fine. just about that. <laughs> In which case, I'm happy to sacrifice my body on the on the altar of T'Challa, of, of T'Challa in, in, in Wakanda. And all I can do is I, I think that our best position on this podcast is to speak our truth while understanding that we might be wrong. I could be wrong about everything that I said or the not the facts, but the interpretations. You know, the the patterns that I think that I'm saying, any of that stuff could be wrong. But I do think that I owe our audience the truth as I feel it and see it. I think that's the greatest function that I can fulfill. It's just food for thought. First of all, audience, please, you know, for your consideration. And also, as we pointed out, to the degree that we might have a smidgen of influence with people who can make decisions and and. There are times we have, I will say that, we have done consulting for major studios. <laughs> so, and and the things that we have suggested have actually come to pass. So we're not just a guy in a diner talking about this, but but also we're not, no one asked us. No one came That's to right. us and asked our opinion. I, I think that we have talked about a very delicate <laughs> subject a lot. Painful. Yeah, painful, painful and delicate. Meanwhile, you know, my my honest hope is that everyone listening to this enjoys the trailers, enjoys the movie, and yeah, absolutely. I, I, I bear no ill will for anyone who is over the moon about this. In fact, I'm hoping that nothing I'm saying will diminish any of your pleasure because you know, life life should be enjoyed. And we we uh, want to be over the moon too. You know, yeah, I'm I, over I'd the love moon. to be over the moon. I, I I wish I could just feel thrilled, and it's like, oh my god, look at I, and. Honestly, I can't. That has simply not been my reaction, and I, well, I'm a little heartbroken that that's the truth. Well, for me, it was it's just the sadness that was the lingering emotion after seeing that 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 teaser because I do have such a strong reaction to funerals. I remember after Michael Jackson passed away, there was all the talk about oh, there's going to be a televised you know tribute to Michael, and I was like oh okay, let me watch that. Then they started rolling out a casket, and I was like oh my god, this is a funeral, and I do not, I cannot, I'm so bad. With funerals, and and it it really was pushing my funeral buttons, and also that that grief I felt from real life about the loss of the actor, clearly, which we all feel, and I can only imagine how difficult it was to be on that set where he had walked and spoken and breathed life into this production first time around, and to do it without him. So, I mean, I I have nothing. See, but I can respect. tell you, I can tell you another thing they could have done. They could conceivably have jumped forward in time. Introduced mm. T'Challa's son happens all the time, but they couldn't mm. do that in, in another sense, you know. So, but then you they, lose your actors that everyone's invested in. You lose no, you the other don't. cast. You just you age them a little bit. Oh, uh, okay. It Listen, all the time. I bet a lot of you have opinions that you like yeah. to share with us. And if you do, you can leave us a voicemail and we will actually listen to it and maybe even play it on the air. It's at www.speakpipe.com. It's speak pipe.com slash life writing podcast www.speakpipe.com slash life writing podcast please do share your opinions with us whether you agree disagree we'd love to hear from you like steve said he's he's not saying he's right this is just right i'm not i cannot say i'm right that would be dishonest all i can say is that this is how i honestly feel and think and That's maybe it. I wasn't right to wish for recasting. Who knows? Yeah, you know, I, mean, maybe. I mean, you know, I don't think that there is an absolute right or wrong about any of this. What there is is feelings and observations. And I just want to be part of the conversation. But you, my dear listener, your opinion on all of this is just as valid as mine. Great. Well, hey, let's just course. leave it at that today. Yes. And uh, for those of you who are artists yourselves, please bear in mind these kinds of issues will come up when you're creating your projects, whether you are yourselves from a marginalized community or you're writing about a marginalized community. These are the kinds of questions that you want to ask yourself about the balance, how the characters are being depicted and what unconscious messaging may be conveyed through your work. So 
This is the time to get in the game. If you've ever wanted to write scripts, if you've ever wanted to publish short stories, jump right in. And the Life Writing Premium program is actually a great way to do that. This is called the Life Writing Podcast. We have a product that we call Life Writing Premium. That is a weekly module subscription. Every week you get like just like on this podcast, more and more tips, but more in-depth tips in terms of craft. How, to, how to create your own work, you know, reinforcing so, your writing practices to help you thrive, make your writing dreams come true, help learning the business. And even if you're already writing or maybe you're already published, having sort of a weekly jolt with a short video and more extended assignments, depending on your time, can really sometimes be that extra push you need to break through the noise, the noise of all the time you're spending on social media, the noise of dealing with family during the summer. Maybe this course is exactly what you need to finish off your summer and it's only $29 a month at lifewritingpremium.com. I can't, I got nothing to say on top of that. Just thank you for giving me a chance to vent. I feel thank much, you. I feel thank much you. better now. I'm so glad you got that off your chest. Yeah, um, I, just, I just feel like it's important, you know, that it's important to have the discussion. Wakanda I'm, forever. Wakanda forever. All right. Bye-bye, right. everybody. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. A well-told story has the power to transport you to places you've never been. And if you enjoy books and travel, you are going to love our podcast, Strong Sense of Place. I'm Mel. And I'm Dave. Every two weeks, we get curious about one destination and discuss five great books that took us there on the page. We start with an overview of what makes that place different than anywhere else on Earth. And then we tackle a round of two truths and a lie to explore stories behind that place. But the heart of our show is our book recommendations. We share why we love each title with no spoilers. Take an imaginary trek with us through Iceland, sip Uzo in Athens, or virtually ride the rails on an epic train adventure. Strong Sense of Place was featured in Apple's Top 10 Podcasts for the Arts. If you love books and travel, come along with us. Listen to Strong Sense of Place on your favorite app or visit us at strongsenseofplace.com. 